Hey there, podcast listener. I just wanted you to know that the John D. Sperry podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. With your Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime and anywhere. Download the free app onto smartphones, both Apple and Android. Listen across devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series if you'd like. I've been using Audible for about a decade now, and I couldn't be more satisfied. I love Audible. I've listened to audiobooks, dramas, podcasts. To get started with a one-month free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That gets you one month free, which includes a free book credit, two free Audible originals, and access to their massive library of resources. One more time, audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast to get started with Audible with that free month. Welcome back to the John D. Sperry Podcast. Today, we're taking on Chapter 15. Chapter 15 is an emotional one, so uh, get a box of tissues, and I will see you after the chapter. Chapter 15 Cautiously, Ladin entered Terminal 8 and followed the small contingent of humans into the port, joining the teeming throngs moving in all directions. Different lighted paths on the ground indicated different destinations. Ladin looked for customs. The guide on the wall showed that customs was the orange path. Keeping his face covered and eyes on the floor, he found the orange path and followed it. The trail made two right turns into different large hallways that both led toward the enormous entrance to the port that was wrapped in a wall of ten-story high windows. It continued toward a bank of desks and about a dozen different lines. Each line was filled with at least twenty people waiting to be allowed back into Bag City. Ladin shook his head. He needed to find this Laney person, but it would be impossible to know who she was without getting into a line. He chose the centermost line and stood in it. With nervous energy, Ladin looked around the great entrance to the port. Hundreds of travelers and workers rushed to and fro. Civil patrol officers stood at the terminal gates. He shivered at the prospect that, at any moment, they could be looking for him if Malik were alerted to his escape. If that happened and the CPOs found him, then the lamp, were it actually on the chip in his boot, was his only negotiating asset. As he considered his options, a hand suddenly grabbed his shoulder His heart skipped a beat, but when he looked, he was staring into a deep brown face with dazzling green eyes. 
It was a girl wearing a customs uniform, and she was pulling him out of line. I can help you right here, sir, the girl said, leading Ladin toward another counter. He followed her, but panic welled up inside him until she turned around and he noticed her name tag. In clear, gilded letters, he read the name, Laney. Identification, please, the girl requested, holding out her hand. Ladin tried to make pleading eye contact with her, but she never looked up. Thank you, sir. It will be just a moment while I verify your flight and return, the girl said as she closed her fingers around emptiness and pulled it back over to her data mod. She swiped the mysterious nothingness over a sensor and then reached back across the counter as if holding a card in her dainty brown fingers. Ladin looked at the bright pink flesh under her fingernails because there was nothing else to look at. Ahem, the girl said, and Ladin looked up. She had on the jovial expression of anyone in her particular trade, but then she winked. Oh, Ladin said as he reached up and mimed the retrieval of an imaginary ID card. It seems you have nothing to declare, so I want to thank you so much, sir, for traveling with us. I hope you will join us again. Ladin, lacking confidence or security, nodded as a small gate slid open in front of him, allowing him to leave the port and go into the city he knew so well. The situation having somehow snuck up on him, he realized that he had made it. He was out. Walking out of the port, Ladin headed toward the street. He found a public transit stop and boarded the first bus out of the bubble. The back of the bus was usually a good place to keep out of sight, but the one he had chosen was especially full. He was going to have to wait to contact Kimber. As the bus hovered away from the port, Ladin looked at the condition of things inside the bubble. The streets were neat and clean, with well-manicured planter boxes and lawns lining domestic dwellings. Life inside the bubble was very different from that inside the city proper. The dust storms couldn't get inside the bubble. The Tellurites kept this particular bubble's environment conditions to Earth norm, including the air, but that was where the similarities ended. Other bubbles, especially the one in Cairo, were kept to Telluride norms, and were the social hotspots of the planet. Despite the fact that neither Cairo nor any other bubble location was known for commerce, they were certainly entertaining, especially for intergalactic travelers from other planets. The bus pulled through the tunnel back into Bag City proper, and the world was suddenly blanketed with a monochrome of reds and browns, and Ladin thought about the relationship between the Tellurides and humans. How could a species come with so much power and ability to make something like the bubble, yet allow the hands that provided them their sustainability in Earth's solar system to live in such brutal comparative squalor? Was it their fault that Earth humans lived in such humble circumstances? Did the Tellurides do this to humankind, or was it something else? Were they merely the mediators of a worldwide civil war, a war that had raged for centuries? He looked again at the streets and the buildings, then looked back at the bubble whose wall of transparent energy made it seem like a giant jewel resting untouchably in the middle of hell. The bus approached Bag City Central, and Ladin knew that the station would be filled with people, making it easy for him to disappear. The underways would give him the chance he needed to get to the other side of the city to Simic's dwelling where Simic could give him a new data mod, and he could find out what was actually on the chip he carried secretly in his shoe. If it was the lamp, he would make amends with Malik, get whatever price might be on his head off of it, then arrange for Simic and Zade to leave the planet with him and take advantage of his fortune on Karamina. That was the happily ever after scenario. If he didn't have the lamp... He would still arrange for Simic and Zade to get off the planet. It would just be under the dark cloud of a government warrant of arrest, or worse. It was a simple enough plan, but first, he needed to hide out for a while. He knew just the place. Zade flew through the door of Simic's dwelling. 
It was barely past eight o'clock in the morning, and the odds of Simic being up were well in her favor, yet she was fully aware that recent events stood to change his routine. When she walked in and found her father sitting in his stuffed chair, sifting through Ladin's box of parts, it only reaffirmed to her that humans were not mathematical creatures, and that she was probably in trouble. I don't suppose it's too much to hope you just felt like going for a relaxing walk in a sandstorm, Simic said as he dropped an artificial leg joint back into the crate. I know where he is, father. I know why they took him, Zade replied, but Simic said nothing. Zade slid open her wrist and retrieved her linking cable and plugged it into the diagnostic data mod near Simic's workbench. A mass of encrypted code filled the mod screen, and Zade scrolled through it until she came to one particular cluster of data. Simic stood up and pulled his glasses down over his eyes. How did you get this? he asked with guarded intrigue. I went to Sultan Malik, Zade responded, and Simic pulled the glasses once again from his face. Zade, why? Because you couldn't, father. You have too much to lose. I'm replaceable. No, Simic lashed out. Don't ever say that. Don't even think that. You are not replaceable, Zade. You aren't. Zade looked into her father's eyes. I'm sorry, she said. I did it because it had to be done, because if anyone knew what happened to Ladin, it was him. Simic bowed his head. I know, but that boy is smart. He can take care of himself. Not this time, father. He's in real trouble, Zade disagreed. How do you mean? Zade pointed to the isolated cluster of code on the monitor, then opened a new translating interface. The calibration took a second, but images quickly began springing up onto the display. In the center was Ladin's face. He was in a room, or, most likely, on a ship. In the bottom right corner was the face of Haslan Malik. He didn't look pleased as Zade initiated playback. That's a subspace communication link, Simic said, suddenly much more interested. His old eyes focused on Ladin's face while his ears zeroed in on the conversation, but also on any sounds picked up by the transmission. The conversation was focused on the acquisition of something. In the playback, Ladin stated that he had gotten it. Simic listened to every word closely. Then Ladin said something that was like a bomb going off in the room. Wait, stop, Simic blurted out. Run that back. Zade reversed playback. Ladin's voice repeated the last phrase again. I only took the lamp, I promise. Simic's eyes went wide and he looked at Zade. There was definite alarm to his gaze. He then stood up and left the room in a bigger hurry than Zade had ever seen. She followed him. Opening the door of the closet in the back of his bedroom, Simic dropped to his aged knees and began pulling everything out of it, throwing hoarded rubbish into careless piles on the floor at Zade's feet. What is it, father? Zade asked, her neural pathways lighting up with stimuli of concern. The lamp! I should have known! Simic mumbled. Father, I don't understand what you mean, Zade pleaded gently. A piece of floorboard suddenly flew over Simic's head and his body leaned into the closet, his head going down into the floor. As swiftly as he had gone in, he emerged and stood up. You don't understand because I took it from you, Simic said, holding up a chip that Zade had never seen before. Once you process this, it will all make sense, Simic replied and went immediately to the back of Zade's neck where her spine met her silicon cortex. He tugged gently on a piece of her scalp, revealing a small slit built into her spine. What is it? Zade asked. This will fill in all the missing gaps you don't know you're missing in your memories. I wasn't aware that I was missing any memories, Zade replied. That was the point, Simic answered. That information was dangerous to you and to Ladin. Things you don't know about our Sultan and about Ladin. And me. 
Then why give them to me now? Zade asked. Simic held the chip away from the cortex reader and sighed. Because I fear things are going to become rather dangerous very soon. Simic re-steadied his hand with the chip and was about to insert it into the slot when the door of the dwelling suddenly opened. One of Malik's armed Secret Service members walked through, followed by the Sultan himself. Tahirin, Malik said as he removed his head wrap and dark glasses, calling Simic by a name he hadn't heard in more than a decade, and one Zare had never heard. I'm afraid we need to talk. Simic palmed the chip and closed the patch of hair over Zade's cortex. Things are going to get dangerous very soon, he said in a whisper, then went in to greet Malik. Laden's eyes flew open. It was dark where he lay. A skylight high above him told him it was night outside. He hadn't realized just how tired he was when he got to the den, a place beneath the streets that had once been part of the underground transit system. It was a hideout for jackers and others running from the CPOs. The place was empty when he arrived, so he decided on a small nap. He dreamed of Kimber. He sat up, feeling the groggy weakness of not enough sleep, and rubbed his eyes before looking at his chronometer. 24 hours, 34 minutes. Midnight. He jumped to his feet as quickly as someone still half asleep could do, and threw the shuni robe over himself. It was embarrassing to pose as something he certainly wasn't, but it had proven to be an effective cover. After climbing 30 meters of stairs and taking a few too small tunnels, he finally emerged onto the dark streets of Bag City. The industrial residencies of the city were dimly lit with orange street lights that gave a secluded glow to the entire district. Ladin made his way quietly through the shadows towards Simic's dwelling more than a dozen blocks away. As he walked, he hoped that Malik hadn't yet been informed that he was missing, but it had been more than six hours. Luck was not on his side. The ten-minute trek to Simic's dwelling took longer than it should have, because ducking into shadows at every sound made Ladin skittish. When he finally did reach the dwelling, it was well past one in the early morning. He crouched in the shadow between the two buildings that faced the familiar home. For a minute, he sat and listened for noises and voices. There was nothing but the sound of his own breathing. It wasn't until he darted for Simic's door that he noticed it was partially ajar. That wasn't a good sign for any part of Bag City. Lydon flattened himself against the door and listened at the crack. There was no sound coming from inside. Slowly, he reached his hands around the edge of the door and pulled it open. Something had damaged it, so the retracting piston was disengaged. Lydon's heart raced. In the darkness, he couldn't see much. The limited ray of light from the street illuminated just enough of the room to make him nervous. A cabinet close to the door had been pulled over, so there were mecha parts and schematic drawings all over the floor. What in the world happened? He asked himself as he forced his way in. He kicked a small crate out of the way and was only two steps into the room when he heard what sounded like groaning from the abyss of black in front of him. Hello? Ladin said in a whisper. A clattering noise came from his left. Simic? Zare? Ladin reached down to the ground and picked up the first thing he saw in the limited light that could be used as a weapon. It was a carbon mesh mecha femur. He gripped the rod firmly and reached over to the control panel on the wall. The lights came on in a blast of shock to his ocular system, and he slammed his eyelids shut for a second. As he slowly opened them and adjusted, the sight of the room took his breath away. Everything from furniture to cabinets to crates full of anything Simic might have used to build a mecha was strewn everywhere, from wall to wall. Fragile parts were obliterated on the floor, data modules were destroyed, and monitors were shattered with random mecha parts sticking out from them. 
Wandering into the mess, Lydon was in a daze. His mind raced, and he knew that whatever had happened, it was his fault. This was Malik's work. It had to be. He walked hesitantly in the direction of the groan. Is anybody here? Simic? Lydon said, and a clutter of boxes and papers moved over near where Simic's stuffed chair was upturned. Lydon jumped to face the disturbance when he saw an old, withered, and bloodied hand reach up from under the disarray. Lydon vaulted over piles of mess and debris. With a determined urgency, he began pulling items off the top of the heap. With a few swipes of papers and plastic containers, he revealed a sight that made his heart break in half. Simic lay on his back, his face battered and swollen, dried blood streaking down from his nostrils, lip badly swelled, eyes black and almost sealed shut. His hand still outstretched, Ladin took it and held it tightly. I'm here, Simic. It's me. It's Ladin. I'm here. What happened? Ladin fought back fear and tears. Ladin. Simic responded in a rasp that sounded like his vocal cords were coated in fluid. The old man tried to lift his head and speak. They. He failed and took a heavy breath. <sighs> Don't try to talk, Simic. I I'm going to get help. Hold on. Lydon attempted to stand, but Simic pulled him back with the weakest of tugs. No time, Simic said, and Lydon immediately started to shake his head, the tears beginning to form. No, no, Simic, I'm going to get help. I can run and get help. Tears rolled down Lydon's cheeks. Simic shook his head once very slowly. No, Zade. At the name, Lydon looked around the room and suddenly realized that Zade wasn't there with them. He wiped the hot tears from his eyes. Where is she, Simic? Where's Zade? Simic closed his eyes and took another very labored breath. The sight of the old man so battered made it difficult for Ladin to stay composed. <sighs> Simic said, almost too softly to hear. Malik? Ladin clarified. Simic nodded once. Took Zade, he said, then reeled backwards on the floor, a tortured but weak groan escaping his lips. It was as though someone had rammed a hot poker in his lower back, but he was far too weak to even react properly. The old man winced hard and groaned again before relaxing. A tear squeezed from the slits that remained of Simic's eyes. Simic, I'm going to get someone. I have to, Ladin pleaded as he stood up and turned toward the door. No, Simic yelled, but not in pain. It was all of the strength he had left. Ladin turned back around to see his elderly mentor gesturing him back. Ladin fought his emotions and the adrenaline that was screaming at him to find his friend some help. He was enraged and yet terrified that he might have to see the only human he had ever loved die right in front of him. He felt the uncontrollable twinge in his lip, and more hot tears began to fall. I have to, Simic. I have to get you help. Simic continued to draw Ladin back to his side. By the time Lydon was kneeling again next to the old mecha builder, whose calloused and worn hand squeezed tightly to Ladin's, the young boy was weeping full tears. Malik's looking for you. Thought you were here, Simic said, then took three heavy and labored breaths. I told him I didn't know where, Simic smiled. Oh, Simic, this is all my fault. It's, it's my fault. Please, l let me get help, Ladin cried, wiping tears as fast as he could. No, Simic groaned loudly. Not your fault. My fault, the aged man said, gingerly touching his hand to his chest. My fault. No, I did it. I went to the station. I did something, Simic. I made a deal with him. This is my fault. I went after something so stupid. 
Simic pulled on Ladin again, forcing him to lean in closer. Ladin, you are a proud boy, Simic said, then paused to breathe. But you must be a smart boy. Simic raised his head up a few inches off the ground and forced his swollen eyes open. Ladin could see the deep irises buried under what seemed like pounds of flesh. You, get Zade and leave. Be smart with it. Ladin shook his head and wiped a tear. With what, Simic? What do I need to be smart with? Simic pulled his other hand over his chest and rested it on Ladin's. Ladin looked down as Simic opened it. Take, Simic said, and Ladin felt a small piece of plastic fall into his palm. It was a data chip. You are more than you seem, my boy, Simic said. Like your father. Ladin's eyes shot open despite the tears. My father? He asked. Simic tapped his hand where Ladin held the data chip. Your father, he said, still indicating the chip. My father? You knew my father? Simic groaned again and pulled Ladin in again. You must save her, Zade, her heart, her core. It is all that matters. Save Zade, Simic, you're not making any sense. What do you know about my father? Save Zade, it's important. But how? Ladin pleaded. Malik will have me killed the second he knows I'm still alive. Look what he did to you. What do I do? Simic's eyes opened as wide as he could get them defying the swelling under his flesh. The lamp, he said. Use the lamp. Be smart with it. But I don't even know if it's... I don't know if I have it, Ladin said. But Simic had already laid his head back and closed his eyes. Ladin was helpless as he watched his broken friend take his final three breaths. With one final squeeze of the hand, Simic was gone. Unable to control the emotional spasms in his lips and jaw, Ladin buried them in Simic's chest and wept. So that was chapter 15. Chapter 15 was a difficult chapter, and you can probably guess why we lost our first character. Um, well, first character that we knew about. Um, and this was particularly hard for me. I have I had killed characters in chapters before, um, but this one was kind of tough because of how brutal it was. Um, and, and Ladin had to come in and find Simic um, beaten up like that. And it sort of taps into trauma that I have never experienced. Um, so to to sort of get into the mood of writing this was was hard uh, for me. I basically had to go off of what I what I had seen in movies, um, how I think I would have felt had I found 
my grandfather or my father or somebody beaten to death and they die in front of me. And that's not something you can really uh, understand if you haven't gone through it. And I have definitely not gone through something like that. So this was kind of a difficult um, a difficult section for me to write from that perspective. So that was the death of Simic. Um, I don't want to go too much into that. Uh, I, I will tell a funny anecdote that uh, I've been teaching this book for, I think, three or four years now in my seventh grade um, literature classes. And I read some of these chapters out loud to the kids um, so that they can grasp what's going on. And every once in a while, I miscalculate and I read this one. And I have to read this to them without losing it, without crying. Um, because for some reason, I cry every single time I get to this chapter, um, when I'm reading it out loud especially. And so I'm st I'll stand there in front of my classes, and I'll be reading it, and I'm like, keep it together, man! And trying not to lose it, because 7th graders aren't the most sympathetic people in the world. They're, they definitely lack empathy. But um, if you show weakness, they're kind of like wild animals and they will pounce. So uh, to avoid being made fun of in a uh, insensitive way in front of my seventh graders, I try not to cry when I read this section. But every once in a while, you never know. Um, I get really emotional in a, quite a few places in this book um, because the story means that much to me. Um, I love these characters. I love this story. So that's where I'm with that. Now that Ladin has experienced this change in his life, we're going to be moving on. So don't miss the next chapter um, because he is going to be experiencing some uh, sort of a new independence and a lot of fear and having to finally work things out for himself for the first time in his life, really. Um, despite the fact that he grew up on the streets, he was still mentored by Simic from a very young age. And the story is going to very quickly move into phase two. If you're familiar with the Aladdin story, he has to go into that phase where he makes a wish and becomes a prince. Um, so you're going to get my take on that side of the Aladdin story. So stay tuned for that. I want to apologize for the delay. Um, I was supposed to release this chapter on Wednesday, but it is Friday. So we're a couple of days late. Um, I have not gotten a lot of sleep lately. Um, if you are listening to this from the future, which everybody will be listening to this from the future, um, this was the week following the George Floyd murder. Um, if you look that up in your history books or, or, uh, wherever you are right now, um, there were there was a lot of turmoil in the United States, uh, during this time. And, and I lost some sleep over that. And my family also decided that we were going to experiment with getting a pet for the first time. And I lost sleep over that. And allergy season struck really hard just in the last 7 to 10 days. And I lost sleep over that. Um, I've gotten allergies very badly ever since I was a little kid. I remember when I was little, my family, we moved from Los Angeles to Oregon and uh, I learned really quick what allergies were. And I spent most of my childhood during the late spring and early summer with my eyes sealed shut, having been swollen from rubbing them. Um, so the pollen really affects my nose and my eyes. So that is another reason I was delayed on this podcast, not just losing sleep over it because it, it is it is horrible having to blow your nose that much and rub your eyes. 
Um, but my voice had changed. My voice drops like I have a cold. And, um, and so I didn't want to read the chapter and have it sound that much different. It's kind of like if you, if you listen to my first, um, full request with Patrick, my voice was low and it was because of the same thing because of the allergies. And it sounded like I was a really low speaker, you know? Okay. Not like Malik, but you know what I mean? So that's another reason it was delayed. I hope you were able to catch my second full request interview with Laura Beers. Uh, It was fantastic. Laura is a Regency author. She writes in romance, spy, time travel, all sorts of of, of, uh, different varieties of of Regency uh, writing. Um, She's been writing for two and a half years, and she said that she has 21 novels out. And that's fantastic. That is incredible. So if you didn't catch that, please go back and catch my full request interview with Laura Beers. Um, it is a great interview. She has a lot of insight. And I had a couple people already tell me that they felt inspired by the interview and either continued to write or started to write. So that was fantastic. Okay, because I don't have a whole lot to say on this chapter, um, I just really want you guys to get into the next chapters. I'm going to do my segment, um, What's Good in Audio. So what's good in audio? Um, I like to listen to podcasts, and I found another podcast, and... And I said I wasn't going to do super popular podcasts, but I thought this one was great. Um, it is called Decoder Ring. Decoder Ring is put on by Slate.com and is hosted by Willa Paskin, um, who is one of their writers over at Slate. And she breaks down um, social mysteries, um, things that happen in society that uh, are kind of weird. And maybe we don't understand, for example, um, the baby shark phenomenon. She she did a deep dive into the baby shark song and found um, what she believed were the origins of that song, despite the fact that it seemed to crop up in various places of the world independent of each other. She did another one on the soft serve ice cream trucks of New York City. She did one on, oh, on Chuggy Cheese. And the war of animatronics that went on with Chuck E. Cheese and why it uh, ultimately failed and where that came from. So she decodes these interesting parts of our culture and our history. And uh, it's called Decodering. And you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. So if you're interested in uh, just sort of weird phenomena or, you know, just sort of weird social things that have happened in in American history, um, especially in the 20th and 21st centuries, go check it out. It's Decodering with Willa Paskin uh, from Slate.com. And that is all I have for you today on the podcast. Remember, you can get my books on Amazon, uh, digital and and paperback. You can check me out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at John D. Sperry. And until next time, be good. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And we'll see you next time. 
This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.